G'day legends and welcome back to another episode of the Montana Project. This week, episode 24, the one and only Bonnie Hancock jumped in the studio. We sat down and had a chat about our recent achievement of paddling around Australia. It was over 12,000 kilometers. She also recently broke the men's 24-hour paddle record after that as well. Um, we discussed her past as an iron woman, uh, as well as being a dietitian, and just dove into the mindset of what it takes to be a professional athlete. Um, yeah, it's just honestly such a cool experience to chat with someone like that and I'm so excited to uh, record it and release it and yeah, it was a true honor and she's an absolute inspiration. So I hope you guys enjoy. Because we started out before we sort of got a couple of guests, like Corey and I did some little, I don't know, I guess segments. You wouldn't call them sketches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's been epic. And having a guest on just like the conversation just bounces around so yeah. well. It's really so nice. So awesome but, just get that flow. And like you never yeah. be playing questions. And, okay, we'll go into that a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Cool. But look, welcome to Montana Project. Thank you. So stoked having you. It's really cool. Like... I guess seeing something to come to fruition of like seeing what you're doing and then being like, I want to talk to that person. That was like kind of where it started for myself and yeah, to see that going ahead. And and, and I guess it's really strange because I feel like I know you and that's the, <laughs> that's the weirdest part about it. It's like, I feel like I've been a part of your journey. I guess that must be such a strange thing that you might've heard from a lot of people. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that a bit because we were talking about Ned Brockman just earlier and, you know, following him on social media and hearing him speak to the camera and everything. I sort of, I know exactly what you're talking about and he's someone I would love to talk to and, um, you know, hear about his experiences. So, yeah, it's really cool being back now and, and sharing the stories and there's so much like we've only really scratched the surface with what we did show on social media and we're, mm. we're going to do a doco, which is really cool and there's a lot of raw stuff on there. Yeah. But, mm. We just took all the filters off in the end. We were like, let's show me vomiting into a bucket. Let's show me when I'm scared <laughs> because that's that's the behind the scenes stuff people want to see. And especially with social media, we can tend to, you know, filter a bit of it yeah. sometimes. So, um, and that took a little bit. That took being vulnerable to do that. And um, I'm quite a private person. So it sort of did take a couple of months to get used to having cameras there. But also some of the GoPros and things were hidden. I didn't even know they were there. Oh, really? <laughs> I was vomiting and I saw the red light up. Uh, kidding. Uh. But um, I was so glad they did that. Yeah. yeah. Do you just want to explain what uh, you actually did? Yeah, for sure. She's probably started. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's crazy. It's been that long. But last, um, so December 2021, it was the 19th of December. I set off from Mermaid Beach just down here. I live on Montana Road as well. And um, basically did a big clockwise loop around Australia on my surf ski. So I read a book a couple of years ago about Freya Hofmeister. She's a German woman who paddled around in 2009. She was uh, she had the world record and did it in 10 months and 22 days. So I went to Broadbeach Library and picked up that book. I picked up a couple of books and it was the third one I read and it was called Fearless and it was written about her, not by her. And I just got to the end of that book and could not get out of my head. I was like, that was the most inspiring <laughs> thing I've ever read. Um, hearing her stories about everything she had to overcome. And honestly, for six months, I went back and forth with trying to convince myself that's the silliest idea. You know, it's expensive. It's dangerous. The logistics, it's just huge. 
but by six months I knew I had to do it I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about it and um, yeah managed to do it in a bit over eight months and and get the world record so brought the world record back to Australia that's awesome that's super impressive yeah we we got so many things to unpack with it as well do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself so you mentioned earlier you've got some sisters one of which has just competed in the cool and got a gold this weekend yes. done pretty well so yeah, yeah. What, what about a bit of younger Bonnie as well totally going back so I uh, actually born in Brisbane don't remember the first two years of my life but I too <laughs> moved to um, Sawtell in New South Wales so the Coffs Coast is about three hours south um, grew up in Sawtell. It's a beautiful little coastal town, about 2,000 people, so very small. Um, and I've got three sisters, so I'm third in line. Uh, Georgia, Courtney, myself, and Indy's the youngest one, the baby. Yep. Um, at 17, Courtney and I moved to the Gold Coast. She was 18 to try and become professional ironwomen. So we followed Carla Gilbert from a young age. She was, you know, won everything, but most importantly, she's an incredible person. We wanted to be her. We just idolized her. And um, yeah, at 17, moved up, joined BMD Northcliffe, um, mm-hmm. which was at that time still developing, but had all of the top iron women there, basically. Um, and we were lucky enough that first year we came up, we did like a boot camp style winter under Pat O'Keefe, like three sessions a day, like couldn't lift the arms above the head after the first session. Like, what am I doing? But after six months, the Nidjigrain trials were on and we both qualified and yeah, it was everything we ever wanted was to be professional iron women. So we're lucky enough to qualify quite young. Yeah, that's sick. What's what's a bit of backstory? Because I actually don't know that much about it other than like when an event's on and watching it. So what's involved and like what's driving someone to do it yeah. as far as like as the elite sort of men and women, are they having a lot of like um, rewards in money and that sort of thing? Or is it also a sponsorship or? It's such a good point because it's changed so much. So growing up... Um, say Carla Gibbett was the first pretty much professional Ironwoman so you look before her Trevor Hendy Guy Leach kind of those household names Grant Kenny made really good money there was a lot of opportunity with sponsorship both the Cooling Gadigal which is the endurance race um, as well as the short course Uncle Toby's and it was Nutrigrain so it was a lot of opportunity for good money good broadcasting and then the Iron Women came along, they did a separate series, the Meadow Lee. And similar thing, they had great opportunities and were household names. Around, I would say early 2000s, it kind of changed and there was a bit of a drop off. And right. I don't know if it was less sponsorship and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, you'd ask any kids at that age and they wouldn't have known who Christy Cameron was, the top Iron Woman or Christy Munro. Um, that was when Courtney and I was sort of coming into it. So mm. You know, prize money would go from it was around fifty thousand dollars in two thousand to two and a half thousand dollars for winning, which is just Mm. ridiculous to try and train as much as you need to. You're training like as I said, two three sessions a day. Yeah, you can't really have a proper job around it if you want to be on that elite level. So, Mm. twenty qualify into the professional Ironman Iron Woman series, Um, and from that you'd be lucky if maybe two iron women were making good money wow. at that time it was probably more like the top 10 iron men and uh yeah there was a really really big difference like i know quality is quite topical um been to a couple of women in sport conferences lately and last know, last night wasn't last it night. Flown in straight <laughs> yeah, from Sydney. yeah women's yeah. health awards and um yeah that was quite surreal actually um at the table had women like eloise wellings and com games um marathon recently and jess hull 1500 meter runner so that was really cool to have some awesome conversations and we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go though. 
but yeah i'm hoping that surf life saving can get back to the stage where the athletes can make good money and you'll see the standard continue to rise it's mm. um when you don't provide the sponsorship and money to for them to train professionally you don't see as good a standard the standard is still absolutely excellent but i think the more and more you do that you'll just see the standard go up and up yeah 100 percent. you definitely see like a big gap when you have people that are the top percent and they don't have a job and they can train all day and then you've got the other people that are working a casual job or say 30 hours a week and they've got to kind of split it up and they can't get the most out of yeah. really their training surely that's the toughest part or the most impressive part if you've got someone coming through that's dominating and hasn't reached mm. that level or isn't in that 20 people like trying to qualify absolutely there's a huge even within the actual professional series there's a big difference between your number one to number 20 you really see it whereas you know other sports it's sort of like so close amongst those you obviously always have your ones that'll be at the top but there really is a big difference within our sport because your 20th um just can't afford to you know you probably do as much training as they'd like they're on their feet waitressing or trying mm. to get some money um the top couple will be able to do it professionally so um yeah courtney um finished second um going back to that one in the cool and got a gold on the weekend i think um the prize money for them it was around twenty five thousand for first oh, round. awesome 15 or so i think for second so that's really great they're they're starting to get there and that allows them then to be able to invest you know yeah. in mm training professionally so ali day won the men's i think he's eighth time or something so (laughs) yeah on that level it is so elite and they're absolutely excellent yeah probably that lower end of the series it's it's harder to you know do all of the training required yeah you need to be there is it like the um wsl where they have like set events each year and they kind of tour essentially or is it yeah so what's the circuit look like yeah absolutely and even looking at that they used to have like back sort of early 2000 be like eight to ten races a year that's eight to ten opportunities not only for prize money to get on telly and get out there um now they actually do it over three weekends so they've condensed the weekends into two races in the weekend so it's not even separate when i was doing it was six different (laughs) ones so they just they've condensed it um but it's a really interesting one because Shore and Partners have come on board. They were my naming rights sponsor for the paddle. Yep. Um, and they're investing into the Summer Surf Series. It's essentially like a rival series. So it's the first year you're really going to see maybe athletes boycott the Nutrigrain. I don't know. I think a big focus on this other series. Mm. And it's great because I think it's going to force the Nutrigrain series mm. to lift their game. Yeah, 100%. Bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Look, we definitely didn't get you on to talk about that too much though. So we will jump back into the challenge that you set for yourself because it's just absolutely amazing. So in total, was it 12,700? Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I feel a bit silly because before and I was saying 16,000, you know, and that's about the average of what people had done at prior. Yeah. So four mm-hmm. people had done it prior. I was the first one to go clockwise and yeah. we got uh, advice from one of the world's leading meteorologists. He does all of the Olympians, um, Olympic sailing teams, um, Roger Batham. And he said, you've got to go clockwise in the time you want to do it in. I was aiming for six months initially, but headwinds got in the yeah. way. Um, that current off Finding Nemo, literally <laughs> sees the strain current that yeah. runs down. You get that when you go about 20K out. You can get the weather window across the bite and then up the west coast, you actually get that bit of a push. So mm. it's not until the end, cruelly, that we got the headwinds. So I got really lucky in the first couple of months. But, so um, why did the other 
people go anti-clockwise yeah so some of them so i think their time they took was a year and a half maybe a year um they were aiming to go so with the southerlies actually get the push up the coast that way and around i don't know it's interesting i think it would be pretty even both ways Mm. i wanted to because i was leaving in december i knew i didn't want to be up the top in summer Mm. i didn't want to be heading around (laughs) north queensland (laughs) and northern territory in that summer and also winter underneath and it was freezing underneath in summer like that far out to sea it was like nine degrees in the water it was like 10 outside I had booties, like a puddling steamer, like beanie and everything. And I was like, you would actually freeze if you did that That's in winter. That's crazy cold for water as well. Like <clears throat> yeah. a, you go down to RMC or recovery center, they've only got it at like four or five degrees. Like yeah, it's, I know. It's hard to get <laughs> You're actively in. recovering. Oh, and like I tell you, there were times I was falling out of the ski and get back in, you feel like an <clears throat> icicle. So yeah, when you got really fatigued, you would fall out because they're quite tippy mm. so it's a good incentive to which stay in. if for anyone that's never been on one like it is not a, an easy thing to do <laughs> let alone just doing it for that long as well like it's crazy mm. hey but to there's honestly so many things to break down about this but like where did it start so you've mentioned that you're you're reading the book where do you go from that totally like people like oh this is something you always wanted to literally never ever thought about <laughs> i didn't know about it. i hadn't heard about freya um which does show as well, like certain sports are really, you know, highlight a high profile, like ocean paddling and mm. kind of some adventure stuff, not as much. Um, so, yeah, from that, when I knew I wanted to do it, I told my husband, Matt, I said, I'm going to do this. And I think he literally looked at me with a blank stare, <laughs> like, okay. And he sort of knows I'm quite stubborn if I've got an idea. And I think a lot of athletes are, like, I'm going to do this, you yeah. know, whatever it takes. And, um, I'd mentioned it to him a couple of months into that six months. And by six months, I'm like, I've got to do it. And he's like, all right, I may as well help you because you're going to to do it anyway. And so he, we then started the process. The biggest one was getting the big sponsor. Yep. Mm. And I knew I wanted Shore and Partners. I loved what they'd done. Um, they were responsible responsible for bringing women's and men's prize meeting up even in our professional ski series. So essentially you've got surf life saving where you've got swimming board paddling ski running and iron combines all of that together and then the separate ocean ski series is more like 20k 30k paddles um downwinders so mm. it's sort of like an offshoot of that sport yeah so they'd done a lot to bring the profile of money up in the sport so i sort of targeted them and earl evans is the ceo and I, you know, had this first meeting with him. I was like so nervous. Basically did the elevator pitch. Okay, okay, I'll have a think about it. Um, Call me on Monday. Called on Monday and did the call. He's like, okay, I'll think about it. Did the Zoom and finally we locked in. And I knew once I had them, we could do it because it was, it's a huge expense. Like it's, it's, Mm. we then had to find a car, which Gardner Cars came on board with the Ford Ranger. Thank goodness. Um, Finding a jet ski was um, North Queensland car and truck rentals came on board. We had to find a crew. We had to find people who were willing to come along for that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I told them six months. It ended up being over eight. <laughs> but um, someone who'd give up and essentially volunteer that part of their life. And yeah. I wanted them to um, do the video. Because you had Mike for a little while as well, hey? 
We had, uh, yes, yeah, yeah Mike yeah, James yeah. came along um, in the Kimberley. He's yeah, head coach at Mermaid Beach and yeah. that was really awesome. Um, he loves the technical stuff and if you know to me about technique and hydration and all of those things, you can let slip a little bit. Um, and then we had Blake and Jamie. Jamie had a background in film and had worked on Elvis and really talented with the camera. Blake had picked up a camera quite recently. Um, he's an auto electrician and actually had had this big, transformation in his life and kind of come from work in the mines and picked up a camera um, and does work in mental health and Benny's at uni and had the time to come around um, as well and he's got a bit of a background in surf lifesaving but none of them had ever been on a ski so they adapted (laughs) really really well and uh, I was really proud of them because in the end they went from what is this to doing repairs on the run and like supporting me the whole way around too yeah it's funny how much you can pick up on the go like just (laughs) with this podcast really like all the it stuff yeah just trying to pick it up and it would have been the same yeah and you realize how much you don't know like when you start something (laughs) and you're like okay let's just and asking silly questions as well you know Mm. like i'm like that too like we can be hesitant but they got in there they were asking me everything yeah so by the end they were just all over it yeah what was it like trying to get the like logistics of it all sort of because that's it's a massive trip yeah and like you said you were out at sea for like 15 days or something yeah totally like you gotta kind of work out like the food and Mm. quarantine yeah Yeah. exactly it (laughs) was quarantine stressful (laughs) and the reality was Matt and Ben were on land pretty much the whole way around. So Matt did the first month on the boat and then switched to driving the Ranger with Ben and towing the jet ski. Um, and we had no reception out there for sometimes three weeks at a time. Right. So it would be like, I'll see you when I see you. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And they would just be following the little dot, which was the tracker on the boat, the AIS tracker. That's all they had. We mm. couldn't text call um you know until we would finally maybe get a ping of reception and i don't want to write optus off but oh my <laughs> god the difference in optus and telstra like it would be the person on telstra would be like oh awesome yeah, yeah i've got full bars we're like we have nothing we're on like sos like ridiculous um so yeah that was really yeah hard at times for them and us i mean mm. i was busy paddling all day i knew we were okay they're just making assumptions, like mm. seeing the weather come through and being like, oh my gosh, they've only got this amount of time to get here. So yeah, and we only locked in our boat and skipper like a month before we left. Like there was this whole, ba- in our car about a month before and the jet ski. So, so much of it came together just at the last minute in time. Yeah. And even when we left, we didn't have enough funding to get right around. We were planning on getting a sponsorship. It's a huge cost. And yeah. I think a lot of people who do these expeditions it's the same it's the hustle to try and get people on board you've got no evidence that you can even finish the thing and you're trying to convince people to believe so <laughs> we did well you got that <laughs> we got that what, what was the mindset so obviously you mentioned before how you might do three weeks at a time without seeing maddie and like him being your husband a large supporter of you and stuff like you're out at sea and did you get points where you're just like i'm wrecked and like all i want to do is talk to him and optus isn't pulling through oh yeah totally like it was bizarre you and there were days where you would start off and think this is going to be the hardest day ever and then it would end up being an awesome day mentally you were in a good place there were other days you're like i think today's going to be okay a couple of hours later you're in the pain cave you're Mm. struggling and you're just like i just want to talk to matt or 
or my mom or you know your family friends your partner um just that familiarity and i was so lucky the guys on the boat really stepped up mm. so they learned the things to say or even sometimes what not to say you know just observing sometimes and realizing you just need to work through it yourself so I went from not knowing them at all to like you'd be talking to them sometimes like 12 hours a day, like off the side because I was saying before I loved like listening to a bit of rap, a bit of house, like something really heavy bass, high tempo as opposed to podcasts and mm-hmm. slower you, stuff. You mentioned that you wanted to learn French. <laughs> I did. I really did. I still really do. And I thought I'm going to kill it. Like this is like the whole way around. Um, no, because you would start to – and. You know, like that feeling when you're doing a hard training session, you just need something to really keep you fired mm, up. Mm. But at the same time, after a certain amount of time, you would crave human interaction. So I'd come back into the boat and I just want a conversation about anything other than paddling. So we'd talk about just a bunch of different random stuff like memories, things back home, Um you know, we would say for three hours, we're at a three day, a three weeks. What am I talking about? We're at sea. I wish it was three hours. <laughs> we would not know what was going on in the world. So we had no news coming in. So there was, when we finished that three week stint, we came in and someone came to the back step with a phone and was like, Shane Warnes died. There's a war that's broken out in the Russian Ukraine. And this all happened three weeks ago. Like we had no idea. You're like in a little bubble, which is also as an athlete, it was quite a protective thing, Mm. but you just don't know what's going on. So it's pretty scary. Mm. Like it, I, th- I think I saw something online. It was like the big brother when COVID hit and they were like, there's like a big pandemic going on outside, but you can't actually like, oh, really? hear anything about it. Yeah, right. And they're already like, our family's all good. <laughs> and totally. like Checking in. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It was like big brother. And like you only got five people on the boat at <laughs> times. Which one are you going to eliminate? <laughs> exactly. We were joking at like Hunger Games. Like if something happens or we run out of food, like... um yeah and i mean i was like i actually could get away and have a bit of space every yeah. day yeah they were on that boat you're living you're working mm. you're socializing yeah it's um yeah it's an interesting social experiment really how are they going were they motoring or they under sail a bit of both because yeah. like it, the even just with yourself paddling next to them you're obviously going to be holding a relatively similar speed like yeah and that's the biggest thing was figuring that out so all along the east coast to start when the wind was behind us we were under sail mm. and so we were able to save on fuel and like matt was in charge of budget so he was loving that <laughs> saving on fuel sailing um you know i was going anywhere between 10 12k an hour so oh, wow. we're going yeah, at right. pretty quick speed um for that part it gets a lot slower as we go up the top <laughs> um that was basically all the way around to western australia then we did jet ski up and that's when the fuel really started to come into the costs and then we had to motor pretty much all the way from, I mean, really broom round to the Gold Coast. Because it's not, yeah. It's flat. Um, and I would have taken flat any day as opposed to the headwinds, which started around Darwin. Once those headwinds <laughs> start, you know, uh, we had a 65 foot sailing catch come with us and that thing under motor just churns through the fuel. Yeah. Like it's crazy. So um, yeah, pretty much we did under sail until WA jet ski and then we're at, full motor yeah Yeah. it's crazy and just figuring out that speed to kind of keep because the safest place for me to be is out to the side of the boat i can have someone watching me there were times where 
I'd get in my own little zone listening to something and come across and look at a 10 ton boat like right mm. behind me. I'm mm. like, okay, it's my responsibility to stay out get of the out way. Yeah, the smaller vessel is going to move. So, <laughs> yeah, the whole ocean and, um, you know, that stuff can happen. So there was a lot of risks out there other than just sea creatures. How think. late were you paddling? Because I feel like I was looking at maddie's instagram it was like pitch black i know we did so much night paddling really? i remember my first Just night paddle lower winds or so bit of both um the lower winds and the currents as yep. well so yep. even up north the way best way to describe people is when that current's against you in its strongest point you go about 2k an hour the quickest i was going was 18k an hour with the current so it's just ridiculous so there's no point paddling with it so you're six hours on six hours off six hours on but there were days as well even without currents if i felt good we're doing 14 hour days and that would take you into the night and um there's something about night paddling like people talk about night surfing as well under full moon particularly there's something really quite spiritual about it. It's quite beautiful out there. It's mm. calm, usually by that stage with the wind. And I did really enjoy it. It was with the crocodiles. That mm. was not... Yeah, because <laughs> once you get out, it's not like if you're within 10K offshore or whatever it is, like it's not like they're not around. Oh, exactly. It um, The crocs pretty much start from Broome and go all the way, as we know, to around Townsville. I don't know, Mackay. Like people had Bundaberg, depends who you ask. There's a couple depends. in the Cooma River. Oh, exactly <laughs> right. Um, and that was just a whole different ball game. That yeah. was when the whole way around, it was like it kind of got real when we got to the bite and yeah. that whole thing. 500k out to sea, seasickness, like losing eight kilos in two weeks. I couldn't hold wow. any food down, being hospitalized. Like that was the hardest part. But when the crocs came, it was like you, you'd every now and then forget about it. And mm. then at night, you'd hear a splash and you'd oh. just remember. And there was a, the best way, like the story I describe in the Northern Territory when Mike was with us, in the Kimberley, sorry. Mm-hmm. And it was nighttime. We're going around in this circular currents. It's called an eddy. So you get these circular currents off the island. So the boat's going around. I'm 80k deep and I'm following the boat. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, this is ridiculous. They're like, we're trying to break the current. Stay close. I'm like, okay. And I'm falling behind the boat because it's just doing this ridiculous, like being, um, what's that thing in the middle? Bermuda Triangle or something reminded me of that. And I was like, what? All of a sudden, no, 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 come up to the boat right now. And I noticed they had the torches out to the side and had stopped on this certain spot. And I was like, what? Anyway, they said, are you happy to come on the boat? And I was like, okay, I don't really know what's going on. There's obviously currents. Yeah, Mm. I'll come on the boat. A week later, it took them a week to tell me that when they shone it out, there was a crocodile 10 meters away, like sitting outside the current watching. (laughs) Like, I'm so glad you didn't tell me at the time (laughs) because... If you fall off, that's the worst thing you can possibly do yeah. because they the splashing yeah, the and everything. And I kept saying to them, like, don't tell me if you see something. And even down the east coast when they were seeing sharks near me, I was like, don't tell me. And they'd tell me when I got on the boat, mm. which was great. And they would have to stay calm. And even in Perth um, or Carnarvon, which is near Perth, Jamie was on Bonnie Watch, the person watching me. <laughs> And saw a great white come up next to me and go under the ski. And he managed to stay calm. Just kind of tell me to come up to the boat. And yeah, I'm 
so glad I didn't see it. It was like literally right there and I'm just probably got M&M or something. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It's like so. one of those movie scenes, like they got the headphones yeah, and it's, it's just the music playing and everyone else exactly. around us. It like. was actually like that. It was probably Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> so mm, there's moments like that, like when you're in the moment and you're kind of exercising, you got endorphins. Like it's later on, you kind of almost mm. cringe, like that could have gone really badly and my only strategy was like come across near the boat because they generally don't like the sounds of motors yeah um, yeah mm. and and something that's 65 foot exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah as opposed yeah. to six meters which is my ski and probably similar to their size <laughs> oh that's just crazy hey we've we've had a um friend on damien Ryder. he's jumped on the podcast before did his paddle down to um he went from Cooley to where do you go sydney, sydney. yeah and um, yeah, just hearing him talking about that and like having the, the sea life out there, but it wasn't like all bad. I, I've seen your video with the dolphins around you. That's yes. pretty, pretty special. Oh, it was epic. And you'd always feel quite safe, even though they say sometimes sharks follow dolphins. I don't know, <laughs> but I felt quite safe when they were there. There was one time there was like nearly a hundred dolphins. It was almost like an army of dolphins went across in front of me. And then another time, the one on social, like they would just come up next to you and be riding the swells with you. And mm. if you'd speed up, they'd go with you, slow down. So they're so funny. They're very social creatures. You could hear them under the water, like chattering or that sound, that squeaky sound they make. And um, they're such beautiful, beautiful creatures. And I say they're my spirit animal because it really feels <laughs> like that. And um, them and the seals, seals are really funny too. They're more so down south. And they'll do things like come up next to you and then spiral like all the way to the bottom and then mm. pop up. They're really funny. So the dolphins and seals were epic, yeah. When you were talking um, before, so it's glassed off at stages. Did you get any glass off at, at night? Because you get that, um, is the bioluminescent, did you get any of that sort yeah, of stuff? bioluminescence is amazing. Yeah. Um, so if people don't know, it's like a bright glow in the water and you kind of run your hand through it and see it move. It's incredible. We got lots of that, uh, particularly yeah. down around Victoria. And um, there was one night and we were all like, let's swim around the boat. Actually, this was back in WA, which was on the other side. Um, sort of Victoria to WA was where we kind of got it mainly. And it was night time midnight and we're like let's just do a lap and they kind of someone had the idea i think i had the idea oh would you swim a lap so i was like yeah let's do it i'm like i didn't know anyone was actually going to do it now i've got to do it because i said it and we all jumped in the water we're like freaking out and swam around and when we finished this lap around the boat there was the most incredible bright blue bioluminescence under the water and i was just like you just don't see this yeah. anywhere like Moments like that were really cool. But I was always trying to find that balance in being an athlete and then enjoying the experience as well. Mm -hmm. And that was a really tricky one because there were opportunities to go and visit islands and things. And a couple of times I held back and stayed on the boat and did my recovery and everything. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> like I miss yeah. that on yeah. that. So that was always a balance. What was the recovery like on the boat? Because obviously you can't have like an ice bath or <laughs> oh, I know. I wish, anything like that. I wish that the water felt a bit like an ice bath. Yeah, but, um, Yeah, so um, we had the Normatec boots. Um, so I was doing that pretty much every day. Um, Is that like the compression? Compression, kind of? yeah. yeah, yeah. So I would actually notice a big difference because you always think, oh, you know, is they, are they as good as they say? I would notice a huge difference because I'd have the massage done after with cupping. Mm. If I did the boots and the arms beforehand, I would be way less sore with the massage. So they are really effective. Mm, yeah. um, 
And so I would do them, run through that, do the boys would do the massage, the cupping as well. Um, and then it was just like try and get as much food into you as possible because sometimes it's really hard to eat on the ski, like that feeling of exertion and mm. um, desperately trying to meet the calorie requirements too. Mm. It's around 10,000 calories a day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually put 15 kilos on leading in deliberately <laughs> yeah. to – and I lost it throughout. So yeah. that's essentially what saved me. So by the time I finished, I was back to my like – Ironwoman kind of race weight. Yeah. And as a dietitian, I was like, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to put the weight on because I believe it will come off. And that was off by WA really. Mm. So yeah, that was an interesting process though, because anyone putting 15 kilos on, it was like, you don't feel comfortable. I felt uncomfortable on the ski. It mm. was like, I felt heavy. I didn't feel like an athlete and my back was caning and I don't think it helped it. But it saved me when I crossed the bite and I lost that weight in such a short amount of time. Mm. It was having the extra on because, you know, even you look at Ned, like the changing physique, like, so if he had to keep going, obviously running, you burn even more, but over eight months, you just end up mm. so physically weak. So, um, mm, that was an interesting process. What was, what was your input with like, obviously coming from a background uh, as a dietitian, your nutrition throughout the day and that sort of thing you're taking stuff on the ski or you come and pulling over to the boat and grabbing something to eat and what were you eating yeah a little bit of both so i had a back brace on every day which was incredible it saved me like when i first got it matt suggested i'm like that's for old people like i don't <laughs> need to wear that and it was a huge difference kind of hold you together holds good posture um so i would tuck the body science bars into that but through the day, literally, it was like a stick with like a pole with like a bucket on the end, <laughs> like all of this stuff made up on the fly. Um, things like the body science protein shakes, things like wraps. I would try and, you know, get as much nutrition in. Um, cut up apple seemed to work really well. Bananas are considered bad luck on boats. So a lot of mm, skippers won't let yeah. you have them, right? <laughs> what's, what's so. That? They're just, a, it's just, just like a thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah right, I didn't right. know. Yeah. But oh, I was okay. saying women were once considered <laughs> bad luck on boats too. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, whatever I'd kind of feel like, cause you know, it's like through an ultra and where you get different cravings, like you, your body needs carbohydrate at a certain time, or you're really craving sodium, or you might feel a slight cramp coming. So as a dietitian, it was really good kind of knowing what I needed at different times. Um, if you were really sore, maybe you would notice like your protein intake had been down. Um, and I had some blood tests done throughout the way, um, you know, as a female athlete checking iron, things like that. So honestly, it looked like a pretty normal diet. Like we had um, Bindery where our meat sponsor, they supply Aldi. So a lot of good red meat. Uh, people were like, oh, well, you fish the whole way around. I can yeah. tell you when you're in the ocean all day, you actually don't really <laughs> feel like fish every day. Um we would do smoothies when we needed to get the calories in. We were putting butter in there, coconut oil mm. in there, avocado, nuts, mm. anything to cut cream to kind of bump that up. His fats are your high, you know, most energy dense. So that was an interesting one. And just when I got seasick, I literally held nothing down. Like nothing would stay. And the doco's going to be an interesting one. It's just going to... Did you <clears throat> did you have any quells and that sort of thing? Like I the did. Tablets? And I brought yeah. them up. Like it was oh, really? so... Oh. It was almost like being on a ride out there. Like the boat was the five to six meter swells. Oh, wow. So this is like... <laughs> That'll do like, it. <laughs> absolutely. Like I'm paddling behind the, this catamaran. Again, 500k out. The water's like black out there. Like yeah. it's completely different. 
it's like overcast, dark, and I was seeing these swells lift this 38-foot cat and almost flip it. Like there was time where I was like, I swear that thing almost flipped. And I was seeing the crew out in the back like essentially risking their life out there for me. And I had the moment I was like, is this worth it? Like I will take these risks on myself. Like I know I'm in the ski and it was breaking white water out there. Like Mm. people like, does it break that far? It was breaking. And I had this moment when I saw that thing look like it was going to tip. I was like, holy, like we're a couple of days motor away from help. Yeah. (laughs) Full motor out of helicopter range. So if something happens, you are, you got your life raft and you're sending off your um, pinging the signal to come and get your EPIRB. That's what you got. What's the feeling like being in a situation where you're like, yeah, it was it just, I can do nothing right now other than just keep paddling. Like it's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was like, I felt this sense of like, it's on me that every stroke I take gets us out of this situation quicker. So when I started, I was hoping to do it in 10 days, about a thousand K. There were two days of it that I physically couldn't paddle because the headwind, the weather turned. And Mm. that's the thing. The longer we were out there, the higher chance we were going to get stuck because that weather, we went across three weather windows, which is just crazy. Like in the bite, sailors try to get across in a couple of days mm. for safety. We It took us 12. So wow. we were like, it was eerie. Like you'd be paddling and it was still, and all of a sudden you'd almost feel it turn and then a headwind would be against you and we'd have to take a lay day. Mm. And by a lay day, not a nice down of boat you can't anchor it's <laughs> yeah. 3k deep so you're getting tossed around and you're vomiting all day so it's just like yeah i could feel the weight falling off like i put my pants would like fall down i could feel myself getting weaker and i had still had like 500k to go and i was like i've just got to keep moving forward it was absolute hell in a situation yeah. like that what are you doing because being essentially like a uh not a race but you're having to go back to the same spot like what do yeah. you do you circle back yeah. around to where you've dropped a mark or you do yeah so the chart plotter marks the exact spot where i come out yeah it's like the ned brockman spray paint and yeah, the ground yeah, with the yeah exactly <laughs> right so yeah that boat is everything it's the nav it's dropping it's that mark we would sometimes drift as far as 50 kilometers um, right. in that time and then have to motor back mm. And the whole time we're just vomiting. Like there's just no relief. Um, people on the helm, so that's essentially driving the boat. It would be like a roster rotating and then mm. someone would be a watch for me. And then you had a backup person on helm. So they're just, someone's always in charge of the boat. It's a 24-hour watch system. Um, you would do what's called a heave to. So they'd put the sails up and try to steady the boat. But in those 25 knot winds, you're getting blown everywhere. Mm, especially if you had a squall and it like picks it up. Exactly. Oh. It's, and it's scary. Like when you're on the boat, like I almost felt safer on the ski because mm. I'm like, I feel like I've got control. Like into the boat, the person on the helm would be driving the boat into these waves and coming back. It was mm. just so intense. What was it like when you would come back into shore after a biggest stint like would you be able to settle when you came back on the shore or would you still feel like your body's just shaking around still feel like you're on the boat yeah. it's bizarre you get off and you feel almost like drunk and you're kind of walking and i was given the advice like be careful crossing roads and things because everything feels so fast because mm, yeah. when you're out at sea like you know whilst i'm talking about all this hectic stuff but in terms of movement around you like transport and people and that kind of thing I would actually come into shore and if we went to a shop, I might drop something or run into something. You're like uncoordinated. <laughs> like you paddle 100K, Dave. You forget how to be a human. Yeah. Um, 
and it would take a couple of days, but then you'd be back out there again. So mm. yeah, boat life. It took a while to get used to that, mm. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's crazy. Hey, you were talking before about like the balance and one of the things, obviously, raising money for Gotcha for Life. Now, raising money throughout the trip because it's as you've just described, like it's such a hectic transition, even just going from ocean to land but then you're trying to obviously keep everyone informed Mm. and that is the best way to keep everyone involved to raise that money so what's the were you at points where you're like i really don't want to be putting stuff up because you mentioned as well the boys helped out with that a lot yeah the boys i was so lucky um they did the social media i did the captions so they would sort of have a concept or say do you have a concept we would actually have meetings and chats about it and um, know the direction we wanted to take with it and I mean, certain things would also happen, like huge whale popping up. We've got to be put that out today. Um, so it was really good to kind of approach it that way. Like we try to be quite professional with it, obviously get all of the sponsor stuff on there too. But um, yeah, in terms of the Gotcha for Life, it was a really awesome opportunity. I think a lot of the themes through the paddle, like the resilience and the team that it took, a lot of it crossed over with Gotcha for Life's messaging. So um, their key aim is for zero suicides. And we know that the statistics have been going up recently and it's scary it starts as young in some youth age groups so um they basically run workshops in um, groups as young as school children right through to corporates and um yeah i love the terminology they use they use mental fitness and emotional muscle and it's really Mm. really cool so yeah throughout the journey in terms of socials i was getting so many messages from people reaching out about their own stories and people they'd lost close to them and that kind of thing which i wasn't anticipating um people that i knew as well that i had no idea beforehand so it was bizarre kind of getting to these reefs out in the ocean when we had reception or near an island and tapping in and seeing these messages and it would actually drive you forward Mm. so instead of the socials i think if you did it all on your own being very draining and feeling a responsibility i was able to sort of get the best of both worlds because the boys were doing the content but i was able to have the time to write back to people and interact and people would sort of say was that you messaging i said yeah absolutely i wanted to take the time to do that and it would energize you and you would see a message and you know, someone who had lost something, their own, someone, sorry, their own story and saying that your paddle has given them some hope, you know, for them to keep going. If I can put a stroke in front of the other and you think, well, I got to keep going now. I got to keep going because this is nothing on what they've been through. And um, yeah, so having that bit of a community sort of following the paddle was really cool. What was it? um, What was it like running in or paddling in the North Cliff? Um, Me and Blake were there watching and Blake brought behind it up. everyone else behind everyone else yeah it was busy um but yeah Blake brought it up the other week how it's just you can kind of get to sit there and watch greatness kind of unfold in front of you and we got to watch it but coming from your perspective like it's you're this, finished it's like, this weird thing of like you get to be a part even with Ned today like I was sitting trying to watch the Instagram live and like it's amazing how people can get this feeling of being a part of it even though we have done nothing whatsoever <laughs> and like but yeah it's it's yeah like obviously you're on the other end of the scale seeing that coming up the beach and stuff yeah it's it's like a shared goal though like i feel the same with ned like you follow it along you're invested in it and and you believe in what they're doing and i think it was just this whole eight months of having people around like you know 
everyone's so important to it because you feel this whole community lifting you up on the days where you know you're feeling really crappy you're feeling fatigued and Matt kept saying to me he's like I know it doesn't feel like it right now but there's a big amount of people following this like feel that support because I would be out in the middle of the ocean say when we don't have reception um and before I had the chance to you know even get to the socials Matt was like believe that there are people following this and there's you know you're essentially able to influence people i think that's the beauty of social media too i think you know i was talking about the guy who would run around australia and i can't even think of his name and i feel like social media is really special in that way it can get good messages out there there's pros and cons Mm. but um it's just a shared belief in what someone's doing it's it's you know it's like ned we've seen his struggles and you're sort of invested in that and you know we put a lot of my struggles out on social media and i think the documentary is going to go even further into that but to touch back down at northcliffe was incredible the funny story was i was actually running late so we thought it was only 8k from around the spit back and it was 10 and so i hadn't quite left so i'm sprinting out there i've got elise wood olympian kayak who'd come to meet me lizzie wellborn iron woman they're like you know, come on, we can jump on our wash. We'll help you get there. Because I had to be there at a certain time for seven sunrise. So Mm. I cut it so fine. So that was the backstory was instead of being able to enjoy it, it was so super stressful. But that last moment coming in to the beach and just looking up and seeing everyone, I can just see it so clearly. And I think I got a bit of adrenaline, like took up up sprinting (laughs) up the beach as well. But yeah, it was that feeling of all of the people who'd kind of been following along online. It was like seeing them physically there. And yeah, there are lots of others throughout Australia too. Yeah, it's, it was honestly unreal to see. And like, like Corey said, just seeing greatness sort of unfold and to see you coming in so strong. Because you mentioned, I think on a few of the videos or maybe one of the posters, like you said your paddle fitness was obviously just next level by the time you got to that point. And this is probably because you're averaging like 50 to 100 Ks a day sort of thing or? Yeah, in the end, um, the last month or so, it was sort of like 100, 110, 120. <laughs> so it started out like 80s, 90s. Yeah. And then after a couple of months, you kind of conditioned and you do 130 K day. You're like, okay, cool. Like it wasn't my tall rate was I remember my first 100 plus day, 108 in Coffs Harbour. I was like, that's awesome. You know, good job. You get lots of encouragement by the end. It's like, oh, cool. Like, awesome. Yeah. Good job. Like, that's it. But it just becomes a norm. And it, to some degree, it has to become the norm, what you're doing. But mm. it was finding that balance between normalizing it, but also realize what you're doing wasn't normal. Because mm. there were days where mentally it felt like, you know, the burden was there. Like the skipper would say, you've got to paddle 130k today we have to get to that next place because if we don't get there the winds are coming because different Mm. areas of the coast are affected by different winds and he's like that's gonna be like a week we're stuck so you do not have a choice so it was a burden a lot of days like there were awesome days where you felt really good you had a tailwind but there were days pushing into a headwind trying to get 100k where you're hands are you know the joints of the fingers were unbearable it was like Mm. knives stabbing in and your backs i had bulging disc when i got back i think i had that there for the last two months and all that pain you have to normalize it but also realize that it's okay to feel so fatigued and crappy because what you're doing isn't normal it'd be strange if you weren't if anything like yeah oh if you're on a high the whole time there'd be something (laughs) wrong (laughs) did you have any like surprising muscles that were sore 
Um, I'm trying. Well, the other way, my shoulders were awesome. Like that was the part that surprised me. I had no soft tissue injuries until I did this 24k stint and tore my bicep. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was more the joints. So soft tissue was great. Like mm. really surprisingly, um, even as a ski paddler, um, forearms often blow up when you hold your paddle too tight. They were fine. Um, lower body definitely deconditioned. I noticed just sitting in the ski. We do drive with our legs and use our calves, but that was something I really noticed. I started to feel quite weak in my limbs, are really strong in the mm. core and upper body. Um, but yeah, you definitely felt like your, all of your back muscles and your core get really, really strong. And then things like your hammies and quads like start to decondition. So, mm. And there's nothing you could do about because you're not going to be there doing some squats or lunges <laughs> at the end of a 14-hour day. So. Yeah, yeah. Why um why was Tassie excluded? Just wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I know my dad would ask that he's born in Hobart. But, oh, um, the, <laughs> and this is this is not me like ripping on like, oh, well. <laughs> the record was around the mainland. Sorry, okay. the record. Yeah, so yeah. Freya's record, the world record was around the mainland. Yeah. Um, I know people are like, would you go and do Tassie? Honestly, I just don't know. But it is like one guy's gone around Tassie. I think he did an expedition thing. It is like, oh my God, open ocean. You'd yeah. have to have a boat with you. It'd be very dangerous crossing that. Like, it'd be similar to the bite. Well, that's what I th- like. You got ships and bluff and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, Bonnie's yeah. coming. Stay out a little bit, I think. Um, It'd be fascinating. Like, I really want to do... Mum and Dad have a shack on the East Coast. I'd love to do Tassie. Yeah. Um, first by car. I don't know. I yeah. think maybe well, Amy, Amy's from there. It's unreal. Awesome. Hey, like, um, Freshnay and all that sort of mm. stuff on yeah on the East Coast. Special but. spot. Yeah. yeah. So, there's a couple of um, surf ice savers from, like, Matt Bevilacqua. There's a couple of people who have moved up and done really well. And um, he actually, I think, was the first person to catch a wave on his surf life saving mail of ship sterns blah oh, really? so yeah so when you look that footage oh, up for yeah. a grain, it's insane yeah. and he like the board ended up on the rocks and snapped and he got another one but he oh. did it so maybe not on a ski yeah <laughs> what was the go with damage to your ski while you're out there did you have a spare did you do yeah like- i carried two spares on the boat but yeah. I would have done of 12,700k about 12,500 on the same ski. Wow. It was just, it held up. It's a Nordic Nitro. They are excellent. They're Shout carbon. Out to Nord- yeah, right. Yeah, get that one in there. Um, they're super strong. Um, and yeah, other than changing foot plates, which is like where we drive with our heels, you occasionally would push that forward just from the force over time. The rudder was a big one. We'd have mm. the rudder cables would corrode, so we'd have to switch them out. Um, other than that, it was so great. And the big one people were saying to me was because I know one had done it in high performance ski before, so the people previously had done one in much wider ski, like yep. in a more beginner, intermediate ski, because you're sitting in it all day. And that people were like, there's no way you're going to be able to sit in that tight ski. It was awesome. The Nordics are known for having a slightly wider seat. Yep. And we went to Clark Rubber and got this massive thick, like <laughs> a thing in foam seat in there. And I was, I was able to sit in there all day, which was, yeah, it was really a testament to that brand. And I'd only been with them for about a year before that. So yeah, they stood up. Leading into it, like obviously having your background would have been so helpful but did you get a couple days in or did you get a month in or and just get to a point about holy shit like what have i got myself into and like did you break the did you break the paddle up into sections in your head like how do you take on a challenge that large and then 
You have to. And I think that would be an interesting one with Ned to see where his was at, his head was at with it. But for me, honestly, it was around Coffs Harbour and it was around that first time doing the 108K that I was like, I've bitten off more than I can chew. I was like, my back was absolutely stuffed. And by that stage, I was still carrying all that extra weight. So I didn't feel like an athlete. I was like, I've stuffed that up. I've put too much weight on. I've, I didn't want to go in um, overtrained. So I didn't want to have any niggles. So I actually was doing maybe like 20K paddles leading in as opposed to trying to train mm. for 100K because mm. you just can't. Um, so I got there. The back was so painful that there were times I was trying to lay back on the ski and paddle like anything to relieve it and I was like I, I don't think I'm how am I going to get around and then I was like hang on hang on because it was like devil and angel on the shoulder it was like mm. you've hustled for a year like Matt's hustled for a year you have all of these people invested you've basically given up your whole life you've been going for a week <laughs> and you want to pull out like get yourself together and I told myself, I was like, I call it one more month. I was like, just get to one month. Just get to one month. I was like, if you get to a month, that's less embarrassing. You've actually gotten near, you'll be getting near the border. You're further down the coast. And all I could see was to that month. And it was so painful getting there, but I got to that month. And then when I got to that month, I was like, okay, reassess. And I was like, you've just done a whole month. Do not let yourself down and pull out now. Like, do not let yourself down and pull out now. That would be so disappointing. Do one more month, get to two months. And I got to two months. And by the time I got to two months, the body had conditioned. Mm. I'd lost that weight. I was feeling like an athlete. And that was when I first started to truly believe I could do it. It was like the doubts through that first bit were incredible because you knew it was going to be at least six months of this pain. And, um, yeah, the difference in myself as an athlete up from two months to day one is incredible. And you can physically see it in the videos and photos, but it was more mentally as well. Mm. I was like, there's no way you're going back. And I mean, by the time we got to WA and physically on the map, we were around halfway. You're not going back. Mm. It's just, yeah. it's, you know, it's a short to keep going. So, yeah. uh, but mentally was uh, just as hard as physical. If you had to pick between the toughest day on the ski and the worst you felt but at night time knowing you had to get back on the ski the next day what was what was like harder to go through i think mentally starting each day at that first stroke and there were times up up north like there was one day i'll never forget it north queensland i've been getting hammered by these headwinds i was like okay hey was seasick as well so i was vomiting i'd vomited um i think about five times already that morning so before i'd even got in the ski the boys made me an awesome smoothie brought it all up (laughs) so then we went to hydrolyte brought it all up and i was like what are you holding down if you're not holding fluids down Mm. tried a little bit of apple no okay i was like oh forget it just as i climbed down the ladder to get in the ski this the skies opened up and i absolutely poured i got saturated it's just raining right i'm about to get in i'm like what like lesson like that's just cruel i'm like come on like you are throwing everything at me but then there's a part of me that was like soak this up and enjoy it and embrace the pain because this is going to be the difference in you getting this record and not like can you withstand this and step up to it because this and we came up with that we can't 
embrace the pain and embrace the challenges because it's going to be your best friend and that's Mm -hmm. going to be the difference even when someone has a crack at the record and i so hope they get it i'll be there every step of the way supporting but that's going to be the difference in someone who can get it is who can just withstand everything that's thrown at you but honestly those first couple of strokes of like a 100k day where you don't have a choice but to do it is like it's like that first month. I'm like, how am I going to get there? And sometimes it's breaking it down into the first K. Just get to 1K. Don't even look beyond it and then deal with that when you get there. Mm. Were you tracking the distance yourself or was it yeah. on the boat? Had the Garmin on. I feel like that could kind of, I don't know, be a good or a bad thing. Play tricks I know, on yourself. I know, yeah, I know sometimes when I'm running and I've got the watch on and then I kind of look at <laughs> it. And then, and I've then, gone backwards. And then I'm like, yeah, I feel like I've ran so far and it's like 50 metres. Like, oh. Exactly. I had the Garmin on. I was probably checking it too much. Like I would aim for that each kilometre and tick down each kilometre. Um, and, and that's why the music was so good though because sometimes I would work my way through each song and mm. that would be about a K because it might be around like five minutes 30 it'd sort of get you a K. Um, so it was working through that. But um, I know when they – I found this out the other day when you swim the English Channel, you're not allowed to wear a watch. And I didn't know that. So your boat does all the timing. So it's they're not allowed to wear a wetsuit and they're not allowed to wear a watch. It's part of their rules. They're like old school with it. I was like, I would have died. Like I was like looking at that thing all the time, like pace, distance. Um, it's quite motivating to see to me. Other people don't like it. But yeah, Garmin, I was – yeah. Yeah, and the solar as well because we had to. He had to go all day. Mm. So the first garment we had, the instinct um, wasn't lasting long enough. The solar, like a solar charge by the sun, that was what we had to go to. So did it corrode it all throughout, or did you just sort of wash it down each night? Wash it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fresh water. The biggest thing that corroded was the um, speaker, the waterproof speaker, because yeah. that was just getting hammered. So we had to go to the waterproof headphones. Yeah, I was baffled by that, that they work <laughs> underwater and stuff. That's crazy. Mm. These headphones I had are designed for swimming. You can swim in them. It's so crazy. They're like 250 bucks. They're called Shocks and no sponsor, nothing. We just found them and we're just using them. They were, they were, they were game changer. Yeah, yeah. that's sick. Yeah. I, you um, mentioned before Pain Cave. Is that Courtney Dwalter? It is. What it is. I love it. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> and she's someone I really look up to listen to some of the podcasts you see what she does and it is the pain cave is real I think yeah the way she describes that's incredible and that's it you just go into this tunnel vision all-consuming but it becomes the norm as well so people like how'd you get through it I just got used to being in pain every day accepting that that was necessary if I wanted to get the record it was necessary and yeah once that became it was like how then do i get through that that's going to be there so what can i do not to lessen it because it's not going to lessen it's not going Mm. away we're going to hold that pace but what can i do to help embrace it and the music was so good because it really puts you in you know more of a positive frame of mind or sometimes you just need to put storms you just (laughs) kind of like work through that bit of frustration (laughs) i um i heard a really cool quote a while ago i I think it was Colin O'Brady um, on Rogan and he, he said, uh, pain is mandatory and suffering is a choice. Mm. And it really resonated like, yeah. and yeah, that sort of thing and that Absolutely. mindset. Because that's one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on is like just to chat about kind of where your head's at doing something like that because yeah. there's not all good days. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it was really interesting too because there were days where it was beautiful out there. Like, um, like you said, the glassed off days, the sun's out it would be amazing up on the boat. They got shirts on, they're like tanning up there. And I'm like, 
okay, there's a part of me that is so happy for them. Like they have worked so hard. They so deserve that. And then I'm there just grinding away. <laughs> and I'm like, what I would give to be on that boat with the sails up and just be able to appreciate. And the dolphins would come up and they'd be on the other side of the boat. So I'm like, I couldn't see them <laughs> oh, from where no. I was. So, And they're like, oh, do you ever feel resentful? I'm like, no, no, I don't. I just a longing to be. And I haven't gone back on a boat since because of seasickness. I'm like, but um, yeah, it was sometimes you would feel isolated but they would do everything possible to try. They would be there for me when I needed them. Mm. But there was just that sense of isolation at time where you're like, I want to communicate how much pain I'm in, but does that help me? Does it help mm. me going on about it? Probably not. But there would be times I'd just open up to them like, and just be like, that was so bad today. I am in so much pain. There's nothing you can do about it. We're doing everything recovery. I just need someone to know that. And sometimes it's just, it's like training with someone, like a training buddy. Like you're both going through it together. Mm. You both know. It was like that with my crew. Like if they knew, I just felt better about it. And that's why the team was so important too. What did you find with your mindset? Because there's all the stuff that goes around with like 40% of what you're doing and all that sort of stuff. And just to be able to hear like, someone hearing how you feel and then that gives you a lift like yeah. it was a lot of times where you're like i've actually got more to give today or like yeah definitely like yeah they were de- the human body is incredible like with ultras this would be the same like people go through different stages so at 20k you can feel horrific and at 50k you get this second wind like it was like that and then it would we'd get to the end of the day and i was communicating with the skipper and he'd sort of constantly give me updates on what the currents were doing we well, had to adjust too so he's like at one stage he said we'll take this different angle out to the reef to get protection it's going to add k's but be quicker got halfway out there everything had changed he's like we're gonna have to come back i'm like okay so it was constantly adjusting to that as well and these changes might add 10 12 k's on your Mm. day easy so that was overcoming but yeah there'd be days where at the start you'd feel horrific and by the end you're like can we do another 20k today and i knew that every k i got was closer and closer so it was that constant communication which was awesome and it's interesting because some of the people who've done it prior to me did a lot of it on their own without support. I knew I never wanted to do that. And mm. I knew to do it in that time and be in that constant state of pain. Like I wanted the team there and it was so important, that communication. I, I like, I don't know if I would have got it done with, I don't think I would have got it done without my team safety wise, but just physically being able to do what I was able to do every day. It was yeah, and they were the right people. We struck gold with them, honestly. I didn't know them at all before it. Do you think that kind of helped somewhat? Because you like you had room to grow and learn about yeah. these people and stuff. Totally. Like if I took my sisters along, we would be fighting by day three. Like you the know, boat would have burned down. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly, it was interesting though. Like the progression of the conversation because it's like, tell me about your childhood, your family, blah blah blah. And by week two, it's like, so what do you reckon about fate and free will? You know, like (laughs) it was like you have these awesome, really deep conversations because you're out in the middle of the ocean. You don't have to be anywhere. You've got the time to almost that bit of philosophical thinking, Mm. which was Mm. really, really cool. And I think I got back in touch with that spiritual sense, like grew up Catholic, don't really follow religion, but it was more just like that thinking about a high power. And like, you can't be out there under this 
incredible, you know, sky in the middle of the bite and in touch with nature without starting to explore some of those themes. So mm. that's cool. There's definitely like a, yeah, a power to the ocean. Like I'm so fortunate to be where we are and like most mornings get down and take the dog for a walk or go for a run or whatever. And just, just seeing the ocean there has always been very like calming to myself. Mm. And like to be out there that far, like beyond the, the fear that you get from it, there must be something behind it. There's a sense of quiet out there too. So it's like once you get about, I mean, they say the horizon is 40K site. So we were 100K out. So it's like there's no sounds out there other than just the water moving around and just the crew and it's just incredibly calming and it's so powerful. I mean, the ocean was dictating everything we were doing. So I just have such a respect for it. And um, yeah, it was it was amazing also to only be racing myself because so much of my experience with the ocean has been, you know, racing the girls mm. on the start line and that kind of thing. So just to be racing myself and also I would call it like looking in, like obviously to me, land was always on the right. So looking in and seeing the coastline and that really helped um, with that element of pain too. It was like appreciating that beauty. Mm, mm. Mm. You um, mentioned before you did the 24-hour stint. Um, I might be getting my times wrong, but they were pretty close together from when yeah. you finished. Did you do it because you were conditioned mm. and you just thought, yeah. smash it out while, yeah. you're, while you're in that athlete state <laughs> two weeks after two weeks two weeks after and people were saying oh wait a bit longer like you could do it two months one, later one world record's not good enough <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> well the story behind it was the furthest i went through the paddle so it was one of the days where the skipper said we're gonna have to get to this island you're gonna have to basically are you up for 24 hours paddling and i'd done a couple prior and i'd done i think it was a 177 um, through the Kimberley, I managed. Sorry, through the Kimberley, I managed a one one sixty. Then I managed a one seventy eight through the Gulf, and then I managed two thirteen. Was what I did in far north Queensland, and then I found out that the men's record was two twenty seven. <laughs> so, of course, I'm like, okay. When we did that one in far north Queensland, we had a little bit of a headwind to start. It wasn't ideal. I was like, I reckon I can get it, and. I'm going to be fresh because I was not fresh when I did that other one. Yeah. So I thought two weeks is kind of the sweet spot, but I hadn't been back in a ski since and I tore my bicep <laughs> 70K in. So we'd gone up to Airlie Beach because the other thing with this 24-hour thing, you want the swells and the winds in the day, but it to be calmer at night because when it's dark, you can't light the water up too much because it ruins your vision of the runners. Mm, like you right. want to go a lot of, you yeah. want a full moon to be able to see and you want a bit of light as well as a headlight on. So we thought we nailed it. We're like, we'll go up to early beach and we did get really good conditions. It was around about 15 knots. So it was perfect. Mm. But 70K in, I was paddling and it was um, just as it was coming on dusk. So I was, um, it was a little bit later. So Sorry, what time was that been? No, no, it was dark by then. Although it was a strange one because the moon was out. So it was kind of light for a long time. That's right. It was past us. Anyway, I felt my bicep get really sore. And I was like, okay, that's a strange feeling. Kept paddling. And honestly, within a couple of minutes, I knew what I'd done. I was like, that's that's torn. And I said to them on the boat, and Mike James was on the boat. Um, the boys were on the boat. I, I've done something to my arm. And what are they going to say? There's not much they can say. I'm committed to this 24-hour okay. thing. Exactly. They literally, I think, were like, okay. But talk to each other, you know, try and figure yeah. something out. And I said, no, it's, it's torn. I said, it's okay. I'm going to keep going. And so the rest of it was like 
the most painful thing because the more and more I patted, I could feel it getting worse. And once I got past the 227K, I managed to get it for the last, I did two, almost 235, 234.8, I think it was. The last like 7K, I pretty much patted one hand, one arm off the right. side. By that stage, I couldn't even get that left one barely in the water. So again, like we're going to put all that stuff out with the doco, but just, you know, mentally it was so hard, but that physical pain because I was going faster than I'd ever gone on the paddle. So I was going further and faster than I'd ever gone. And yeah, to get that men's record was really, really cool because I thought I can be a part of on a whole lifting the bar in mm. what's happening in mm. ski paddling. And sure enough, the guy was South African. They're having another crack at it. Oh, so they- at the end of October, <laughs> they're calling it Project 300. If anyone gets 300K, I mean, I'll bow down to them. I think it's sort of just a media sort of thing. Yeah, They're going for more than 234k to get the outright record with it so that's pretty cool because they said they were you know influenced by that to have a go at it so the more people it's like the um, four minute mile and it's like what Kipchoge's doing like showing what humans can physically do i think we'll keep pushing each pushing the bar up and pushing mm. each other forward so it was cool to be a part of that but the arm was very yeah. sore after it's all it is now. really cool that like you're the standard though for everyone to reach it's really cool thank you it's um yeah like and there's much to be said i think for female endurance athletes like it's not that long ago that women weren't even allowed to do the marathon like i remember Mm -hmm. the the first one was she put her hair up or something like that and dressed as a male entered as a male um i think toward the end of it a bunch of people started like realizing and if i'm getting this correctly that the guys running with her actually protected her from getting pulled out of the race because yeah. they're like well she's still here yeah <laughs> they were trying to pull her off and yeah. it um women weren't allowed to do the full distance of the cooling out of gold until i think it was 2010 and one of my friends tian smith entered as a team so similar entered as a teams and did the full men's to show that women could do it and they yeah. threatened to suspend her what? but then the next year women were able to go the full way and they brought the money up equal so yeah. it's crazy when you look at people like courtney devolte you know winning outright um and yeah just to be a small part of that and to show yeah i think women there's something to be said for the endurance element as well and you know, you can't see what's between people's ears anyway. Yeah. It's so much of it is mental. And so just for females to have those opportunities, um, us all to have the equal opportunity to push each other and see what we can do is really special. To put Courtney DeWalter in perspective, so she won the Moab 240, 238 miles through uh, America in some point. It goes through a desert and all that sort of stuff. And she won by 10 hours. <laughs> The, the person who the bloke who come second like she's gone home had a full sleep probably yeah. gone had some brekkie everything and then he's rocked up like, like at no point and she seems like the nicest person ever eating nachos drinking beers like running around in like NBA pants like shorts I love that yeah it's crazy it's, it's funny too like with the beer and nachos thing it's like that's it. Like there'd be times like, you know, that packet of ice, Movos, can you crack that open? I feel like that. Like, and I know it's Ned was eating pies. It's like you get the weirdest cravings and it's like you're in so much pain. You're like, I just need that treat or that bit of reward system too. Like when I did the 24 hour, I baked cupcakes and every 50K I gave myself a cupcake. I'm like, I know as a dietitian, this isn't ideal, but it's just that weird thing. And I think yeah, if you can have that awesome like human element too and yeah, she's got a really good 
crew around her too. So yeah, she's because her husband's a great runner as well. Hey? Yes, yes, and it's funny. She's. I was listening to something she said. She said. He's not allowed to say, how do you feel? Yeah, she I was said, gonna, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. How do you feel? She's yeah. like, well, you, of course, I don't feel good. What do like, you reckon? So, yeah. So that was, oh, that's what I was going to ask earlier is like, was that a trigger thing for if anyone yelled something off the boat, it just couldn't be that or was it? Well, yeah, they sort of, I sort of found in the end, we were talking about all sorts of things and just joking. Like we spoke about paddling so little, to be yeah. honest, but there was something I liked um, Jamie would say, because if I said something like, oh, feeling really like the back's really bad today. He's like, okay, but what's the best part of your body today? And we're like, that's a really cool question. I was like, I don't know, my little toe or something. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. But um, they always had a way of reframing it into a positive, like acknowledging what you'd said, but also, you know, reframing it mm. and then sort of distracting me. We'd do riddles for like hours and trivia. I remember, um, you know, there was a particular time with the 24 hour and literally in the end I was wincing in pain but answering these trivia questions and all of it's to keep the mind sharp because as soon as you lose concentration, you can fall out in a really dangerous place. It was like, keep the mind sharp and the body's going to stay composed too. Yeah. I just, I can struggle. Like every time I try to fathom it, like it's just crazy and seeing some of the videos when you had either had a stack or whatever and you're coming in sideways like these waves are actually breaking and mm. so you're talking before about getting those runners and stuff but like totally. just to stay on that it's so the swells are so big and the white water would literally break across and throw you out it takes the boat 500 meters to slow down to come back so at night time in the bite that far out you got your little headlight and that would take them 500. So all your view would be as you're laying in the water trying to get back in is of the boat just moving away. <laughs> Did you have a leggy or, or anything? So on? I had, so the swells are so strong. The only thing that would work was to the life jacket, a carabiner clipped to a safety line. So one of the safety lines they use on the boat for yep. them to clip on when they have to go out in crazy weather. Yeah. The leggy we normally use would just get ripped off. Really? So yeah, wow. yeah. That's how strong, like I tried it literally the ski would just go and once yeah. those ski go they're only nine kilos they just get flipped and yeah. they're gone so yeah to the waist safety line life jacket on carabiner um and there were so many times i'd fall out and that safety line is what saved me because mm. it would keep me attached to that ski the first thing that comes to mind for people or like at least for myself is like you always think about sharks at night and that sort of thing but when you're that far out, we kind of like started to think about the probability and like the odds of actually falling out and landing on a shark sort of thing like you. I actually paddled over a shark. I paddled <laughs> over a shark in North Queensland and my crew saw it. So I was so glad because they were out there and I was paddling and it was night and all of a sudden I went, thunk, thunk, like a really solid and it wasn't like a turtle shell because yeah. they were up there. And so that that was definitely a shark. Like the sound of it, it was huge. Like you could just tell. And the thing is, these things stalk you. So they're like yeah. hang underneath you. It's like the crocodiles. Um, but the biggest one for me I was worried about was orcas because True. they'd been seen. And I'm like, if I see one of those like free willy <laughs> out there, I'm going to freak because there's all different opinions on whether they would attack. They have been known to attack humans. Yeah. It's just the unpredictability of certain things. Yeah. And I, was, I didn't see one and I didn't want to. Um, and the creepiest thing was the whole way across the bite, we saw no marine life. There oh, really? was nothing. It was just albatross birds, which are beautiful, and mutton birds. 
and you know what's happening underneath. So it was it was weird. Not a dolphin, yeah. not a fish, nothing the yeah. whole way. Because how, how deep is it through most of the bite? 3K deep. Wow. Which is, mm. if you think about it, that gets us what? To Miami, Miami stairs, yeah. Right? That's <laughs> underneath. That's so we're all the way underneath. And that's why the water, like, it's literally black even in the mm. day. And it's just, it's cold. And you just don't want to stop. You just want to keep moving out there. I feel like if you thought about it too much while yeah. you're out there, you'd kind of freak yeah. yourself out a bit. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, you sort of... As I said, you're moving quite quickly with the runners. It's the times when it's flat, it's probably worse because yeah. the ocean, you can try not look <laughs> underneath. Yeah. Oof. Through Esperance and stuff, did you get any times where you're actually close to the coast and like you're sort of seeing reef and stuff? Like was it was it ever faster to be close to the land? Definitely. So up WA it was. Mm-hmm. Um it was a lot safer because we had the jet ski as well. Yeah. So I think the furthest out jet ski we went was around 30K. And to get back out there to that point, we literally had to take the ski on the back of the jet ski, oh, wow. have yeah. two guys, me on there and holding the ski, which was crazy. But um, the f- most favorite part I had was Ningaloo Reef. So at the top of WA near Exmouth. And it was the first time I actually paddled on my own. I was like, I just really feel like doing today on my own. And it taught me two things. The first one was how beautiful WA is, the white sand and the clear water. And I saw 25 turtles and that was awesome. (laughs) But the second thing was that every time I saw the turtles, something amazing, I would almost as if go to my crew to say it. Mm. And there was no one there. And it was like awesome experiences are better shared. And by the time I finished, I was like, that was great. But it made me realize the importance of team. Mm -hmm. And I just felt a little bit lost out there. I had my garment on. I was doing 70K along this coastline on my own. And I just, yeah, it just wasn't the same experience as having the crew there. And so it was really good to do because it made me appreciate them in a whole new way. And so many crazy things we saw out there, like sunsets, you know, beautiful sunsets over the ocean and albatross bird that, you know, I was able to touch and all these things that happened when someone was able to witness it with you. is just so special. And it's like training or racing or, you know, playing footy with your friends, like such a good experience to share with others. You all have those memories together. Mm. Do you see any whale sharks up there? Oh my gosh. I really wanted to see one. We <laughs> didn't see any. Um, they were... We could see the boats and it was sort of one of those things like, do we follow the boats out and go, we didn't, we, we kept to the program and we were making really good ground, but it'd be wicked to go back and see them. They're beautiful animals. It'd be really cool to see them there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, there's honestly so many things I'd love to talk about. Um, we are a bit over an hour now as well, so we will be conscious of your time yeah. <laughs> um, and just jump onto these last two questions as well. So do you recall a favorite failure that has benefited you in the long run? A favorite? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always say that there's certain things that if they didn't happen, I never would have done the Sean Partners Palavos. So back when I was a professional iron woman, I was around the age, just for 25, I was essentially overtraining. I'd put a lot of pressure on myself this certain season. I'd had a couple of results and I thought this is going to be a really big season. I ran myself into the ground. I underfueled. Um, all sorts of things. And I actually ended up with glandular fever and then chronic fatigue. So it, you know, stayed with me for months and months and I had to stop. I had to stop racing. I had to stop training. And it was like everything I'd ever known, all of my best friends. So social aspect that um, training squad was all of a sudden taken away. 
actually had two years out of the sport was how much I drove myself mentally and physically into the ground. When I came back, I wanted a fresh start. I didn't really want to be an Ironman anymore. And I came back as a ski paddler. And I found that it was something I was sort of pretty good at. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I'd, it always been a weakness and I never put the time into it. So actually when I got really sick and went through that really hard time coming back as a ski paddler and then finding ocean ski paddling, that offshoot is what led me to that love of the open water downwind 20K races. So it was, I was so hard on myself for sort of what I'd done but if that hadn't happened, there's no way this would have happened because I'd probably still be an iron woman. I'd probably still be running around as an iron woman and, you know, which is so great. And the girls are so incredible. I have so much respect. But for me, I think the ski paddling was what I was always meant to do. I just never put the time into it with the running and the swimming mm. and the board paddling. Mm. So it allowed me to focus on this and having that background you know and also picking that book up that was i think had to happen <laughs> somehow yeah mm. nice uh second question is if you had a billboard that everyone could see what would it say absolutely so think of yourself at 80 years old and know that you don't want to regret something you didn't do and that's a bit of a roundabout way of saying it but imagine yourself at 80 and not having taken the chances I think that you wanted to. You don't want to get to 80 and have regrets. Mm. And I think just that thought of, for me, it was getting older and having something in your life that you didn't have a crack at. Because we're all scared of failure. I guess those two questions kind of tie into each, but we're scared of failure. But I'd say, what's failure if it's a lesson that you learn about yourself? So yeah, you think of yourself at 80 and, you know, don't have regrets that's the biggest one and i just think that so many people get to their old age and you hear you hear older people talk about it and you know i wish i'd done this and that and just give it a crack what's the worst that's going to happen you know people aren't going to judge you in the same way they've got their own troubles and worries anyway so i think um post-covid particularly there's a lot of people doing some really cool things and realizing that it can all be turned around in an instant like mm. let's hope we never go into lockdown yeah um, yeah yeah just don't have any regrets at 80 years old where's nice. where's your mind at now with such a, a mate with some world records like <laughs> with some like crazy achievements do you look at that as something to uh, like use as fuel for future stuff like uh, you've probably heard a lot but what's next yeah definitely and it's such a good question because there's a part of me that's like all right, that's great. That's done, like chill. And then there's the other part that I know is always there, the part of me that like thinks big and has these ideas. And I'm Knows like- Knows what you're capable totally. of. Totally. And also I'm like, bloody hell, that's a great idea. No one else is going to do it. I may as well do it myself. Like I'm like, is it possible to paddle in Antarctica? Well, we'll find out maybe. And um, yeah, I got the same blank stare. I got the same blank stare. But for now, the Paddle is going to continue in a different way with the projects upcoming. So it's focusing on the doco. Yep. I'm going to run autobiography, which I'm Sick. the nice. publicist soon and um, got a children's book coming. So those three projects are what I'm putting all of my energy and time into. Um, but yeah, Antarctica is not going. <laughs> that would require a lot of planning to be safe as well. Yeah. There's no there. books on that, is there? 
oh, there's no yep, blueprint there be, for that there will one. Be one soon. <laughs> we'll write a blueprint maybe for Antarctica. We'll see. Nah, that's oh. unreal. Look, we're honestly so stoked to have you down here. You're absolute inspiration to everyone that's followed your journey so far. So yeah, it's been epic to have you down. Thank you. So fun to yeah, relive all those memories. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. 